0: Welcome to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. This podcast brings you teaching and preaching from our archives, and you can find more resources, audio, video and books at unionpublishing.org. Well, we are closing this morning
1: with a look at being faithful in preparing people for real life. And that means preparing them to go out far from the sounds of the band. To go out there and there to be faithful. Where they are going to face all kinds of struggles. Where they are going to suffer. And where one day they are going to have to face death. Let me tell you about a time a couple of years ago. I was at a conference, and the average age there was about 25 to 30. That's important for you to know. That was the average age there, 25 to 30. And hardly anyone at that conference knew it, but that day, my dad had been taken to hospital. Now, I was too far away. I, I couldn't get to him. But just before one session started, I found out that his heart had stopped. I didn't know if they'd be able to get it going again. Now my father is a believer, so I wasn't worried about his ultimate fate, but I was churned up. And I felt in that moment, I I don't know when I'll next see my dad. And death seemed painful, clear, and a very real enemy to me. Now, at that conference, every single song that we sung was about sins forgiven and guilt dealt with. It's just these beautiful, beautiful gospel truths that are connected to assurance in the face of death, but none of them really were hitting directly where I was struggling in that moment right then because, well actually there was just this one moment there was just one, one line in one song I can't even remember what it was and it spoke of Christ as the defeater of death ah, that's what I needed to hear then Christ is the defeater of death. I, I needed to hear in that day Jesus wept at a graveside. That he's the resurrection. That's what I needed to hear. But because the demographic of the conference was young, death and suffering really didn't get a look in at all. Great things got lots of airtime, which is brilliant. But I think this is quite a common blind spot particularly where the demographic is young, where death and suffering aren't the felt needs of the majority, they don't get touched. And what it means is the saints go out without the gospel ballast to see them through those storms. See, as Christians, we struggle, of course, the whole time with guilt and sin. But there are times when you will also struggle and have to face friends and family dying. Where you will have to encounter people being robbed and raped. Where you have to face getting old, hurting, getting ill and dying. Just in case you're worried. If you're thinking this is just going to be a call for less joy and praise in our meetings, let's talk more about death and pain and doom and gloom. That is not where we're going at all. That is not what we need. That's not where I'm going to go. No. We need realism that we live in a dark and broken world And we need gospel perspective on that. And we need to know how secure and how superb is glory. (coughs)
0: Come
1: with me to 1 Peter 4 from verse 12. This is the text we're going to bathe in together. 1 Peter 4 from verse 12, where Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I'm using the ESV there. I don't know what version you're using. If you're using another version, it might say something like, don't be surprised at the painful suffering. Something like that. (laughs) But I love the ESV is so literal here. Because that is what Peter says. He talks about the fiery trial. Now, have you ever noticed where Peter wrote this letter from? Chapter 5, verse 13. Where's he writing from? Babylon, he says. Not not literally. It's code for talking about how the church is in exile in the hostile world, just as Israel was in Babylon, right? But he's in Babylon talking about a fiery trial. Hello. What's going through that scripture-soaked mind of his? It's got to be Daniel 3, hasn't it? Where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace in Babylon. And what happens? Nebuchadnezzar throws these three saints into the fiery furnace. And what does he see? He sees beside the three a fourth figure with them. And he says, as the old King James Version puts it, I see a fourth figure there who looks like the Son of God. The Son of God was with those saints as they were tested in that fiery trial. Faithful, kind. And so Peter says here, riffing off that image. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. But verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You see, the Son of God had come to be with those saints in their fiery trial then, but Peter's saying, for us now, he's already there. The Son of God has already gone before us to the place of suffering, and he invites his saints now to join him in the fire and have fellowship with him there. And this is why Peter can write rejoice in your sufferings, not just endure, not just grit your teeth, rejoice in your sufferings. And it's not because he's a loopy religious masochist. It is because he knows this, that Christ is the firstborn. He is our forerunner. And where he goes, we go. He is the head. And like in a birth, the body must always follow the head. It will. It just will. The head The head leads, the body follows. He's the head, we're the body, following him through suffering to glory. See, the thing is everyone suffers. Everyone in the world suffers. Everyone gets ill and old. But for the Christian, everything has changed about that. You see, for us, it's not pointless. Now, born into Christ's new humanity... We've been taken out of the simple downward slide into death. That is the horror for the unbeliever. See, for the young unbeliever happily partying now, it is all downhill. You're going to get old. You're going to creak when you try to dance and have fun. You're going to hurt. You're going to die. And then... Unbeliever, you hope against hope. But for us, united to Christ, we have been taken out of that, brought into Christ's life. Taken out of that trajectory, we now share his direction of travel. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ now, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think you need to know Peter is no hypocrite as he writes this. There's a moment in Acts five where Peter and the other apostles are taken before the Sanhedrin and they are flogged, flogged. And we read that as they left, Peter and the others left rejoicing because they were found worthy of suffering disgrace for the name the dear name of Jesus, it wasn't that the flogging didn't hurt, it was that their desire to be like Jesus was stronger, and so they found there was joy to be had even in their sufferings. Now, I want to push on this a bit because that is such a countercultural thing to say, such a counterintuitive thing to say that there is joy to be had e- even, even in, not just after, even in our sufferings. That just doesn't compute. And I can imagine you could be thinking, huh, sweet thought, but a little bit crazy. Joy in sufferings? Well, let's push on this a bit. Let's have a look at the very first time the suffering of Christ is mentioned in the Bible. Can you think where that is? Where's the first time the suffering of Christ is mentioned in the Bible? It's Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, where the Lord says, To the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring serpent and her offspring. He... Shall bruise your head. And you, here's the suffering, you shall bruise his heel. Now, Genesis three fifteen is of course talking about the promised seed, talking about Christ, the promised son. But Paul picks up the verse in Romans 16 20 and says it can also apply to Christians and so he says in Romans 16 20 the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet oh. the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet do you see what Paul's done he's saying Christians are brought Into Christ and his life. We are brought into the one who is bruised. And the one who does the bruising. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. It all speaks of the special bruising. That Christ and so his people must go through. When you are united to the bruised one, you will face special bruising. See, where once we were at peace with the God of this world, weren't we? The God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers and we loved it. It was his own Stockholm syndrome as he kept us in darkness and we loved that because it it hid our shame. Little did we know, don't hide your shame, you can have it crucified. But we loved that darkness and Satan seemed to be our friend. Our eyes, we were so blinded. And then God in his mercy opened our eyes and we came out from under our old master's dark dominion. And our old master now is angry with us. As are his offspring, those who still follow the prince of the power of this air. Because when you turn to love Christ, then friends, family, start to see you as a threat to their comfortable life. They start to see you as weird. You've just got very strange interests, a bit fanatical. And uncomfortable A war has begun And we feel it in our bones Sin which once was pure sweetness to us Has lost its sweetness And now it begins to chafe And we begin to long to be free From the very things we once loved See it? the world the flesh and the devil all against us of course christians are going to suffer especially more than just being in such a broken world but now look at the weight of how it is paul says the god of peace will soon crush satan under your head uh, under your feet you see we are brought into christ bruised and bruising Yes, we will get bruised if we follow Christ. But what bruising will do? And that is the perspective that all Scripture wants us to have. Never triumphalistic, definitely triumphant. Never naive, definitely jubilant. Satan nibbles at our feet. We crush his head. We are heading to glory, brothers and sisters. But even as we are bruised now, with our great firstborn brother, we do some bruising. Just think how it is. When you suffer patiently like Christ... When you are content, when all the world is so unsatisfied, when you freely walk away from all the glittering rubbish of the world, when you say, I'm actually more interested in something else than personal fame and power and richness, you are saying, all the world does not satisfy me. I have something more. All of Satan's temptations are shown to be weak with you. And so as you do those things, every time you rejoice in Christ, every time you proclaim him, every time you show his love, you do something that is completely unnatural. You show your freedom from your old master's chains you stomp on the old dragon's head. Joining in with our firstborn brother, (coughs) beginning the judgment now. Now, before we get to see how secure and how superb is glory, and I want to go there, we need to see a little bit more of how we can actually rejoice, as Peter says, in our sufferings. Let's read on. Verse 14. If you are insulted... (coughs) For the name of Christ my brother my sister you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you think on that one if you're struggling chew on that one if you're insulted for Christ it shows you're standing with him and you know where that goes be encouraged but Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. (laughs) It isn't that you can simply dress up any suffering just because you've sinned or you've been an idiot, speeding ticket, hangover, and say, Oh, I'm suffering for Christ. No. (laughs) Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For. Look at this strange phrase. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Huh. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely or hardly or with difficulty saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now phrase, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. The point is this, our wonderful father is about removing all that is foul and evil from his world. Now, that all began at the cross. This, that is the beginning of judgment. The beginning of the removal of death, of sin, of wickedness. He began the process there at the cross. One day, the fire of his wrath will envelop the world. But between the cross and that day... The fire of his judgment burns mostly among his people who are baptized in the Spirit and fire. Now, for those who love sin and who don't love Christ, that fire of judgment can only be terrible for them. But for us who love Christ it is entirely different because our sinful identity and status has been executed with Christ on the cross sin though sin remains in my body sin is not my identity now christ is my identity So Sin is not my identity, and so when I am put through the fire, I'm not consumed. It's not my identity. Instead, as Peter says in chapter 1, verse 7, when the saints go through the fire, they're like gold being refined. Not us, but our sin is consumed. Now, that is not comfortable, but is that not just what we want? For when you've been brought to see Christ, you think, of course, his ways are life and light and freedom. Lord, cleanse me because I want to be like Jesus. We don't always think like this. I know this is so much of the battle of the growth of holiness that I tend to think sin is offering me something real substantial, wonderful, lovely, liberating. Sin, being not of God but devilish, my friends, sin can only rob you. It can only shrivel you, dehumanize you, enslave you. And so it is so kind of our Father to say, I don't want that for you, my beloved child. I want you to grow in freedom, life and joy. And so I will remove those things that are destroying you. Because I love you. A loving Father, protecting Building up his children into richer, fuller life. Now, personally, my own experience has been. Suffering has always taught me more than times of ease. That's how it's been for me. I'm a very proud man. I need breaking. (laughs) And when I go through the times of suffering, I I don't always know what's going on. I don't know why the Lord is doing it, why he's allowing me to go through what often seems to be random, meaningless pain. But while I I'm not master of the present so often I find I can look back and I am so grateful all the ways the lord has led me because particularly those those dark times of life when i've suffered through those times he has weaned me off those things that once addicted me through cutting away the addictions that i once had he makes me more content And so I find I am so much more full of joy and freedom because of his gentle, kind discipline. Hebrews 12 puts it famously. My son, do not lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves See, if we are the brothers and sisters of the one who is made perfect through suffering, our father will use suffering as a kind father to perfect us, to make us like Jesus. God uses even suffering to bless us. He did just that at the cross. On that darkest day, that deepest pit of suffering, that was the day when he dealt with the very root of all darkness, evil, and suffering. Through that death, he defeated death. And through, my friends, our comparatively light sufferings, he is now able to defeat our selfish independence our foolish wanderings, our enslavement and attachment to things that destroy us. He's able to do that, to make us like his free and victorious son. And for those who've glimpsed, even glimpsed, the unfettered beauty of Jesus, that puts metal in our joy because we want to be like him. Having seen in Jesus just what it looks like to be free of sin's shriveling power, we want to be like him. And with that, Peter has given us something the world cannot understand. The secret of how to rejoice even in suffering. Can I put this as plainly as I possibly can? Peter says it is, we will go through suffering to glory. But, but, he does not say it is suffering now and only then joy. He does not say that. No, Solid, grounded joy Is the only thing that will get you through suffering For Christ and his people Joy precedes And follows And undermines And encases all suffering You see, Christ had a joy before all pain Before the world existed And it was Joy that strengthened his resolve then to suffer, Hebrews 12. And that is what he shares with us. A preceding joy that enables us to bear hardship. Now, friends, this is the happy secret of the saints who have born most cheerfully and most bravely for Christ is this. The more you treasure him, the more Jesus is precious to you, the more you find pleasure in him, the more willing, the more cheerful you will be to suffer for him. The happy old Puritan Richard Sibbs once said, We will not suffer for Him if we will not feast with Him. We will not suffer with Him if we will not joy in Him and with Him. It all means, my friends, that in order to prepare people for real life out there, we can't be silent about suffering. And about how our Father uses it. Else they will be unprepared. But neither can we simply tell them. By the way, do you understand this? It's suffering then glory. You can't simply say that. No. People need to hear it is about following Christ. Through suffering to glory. They need to know it's about Living in his slipstream, sharing his suffering to then share his glory. So, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Fill their eyes with the glory of Christ so that they love him. So that they want him more than anything else. Because only then will they rejoice in their sufferings. Because only then will they want that much to be like him. Because they see how beautiful he is. The other thing about being Christ-centered is this. Christ, there are two things to be said here really. Christ, he's not only the one who is powerful to bring us beyond suffering to glory. Christ is the one who himself has been through suffering. He understands. He understands what it is to be beaten, abused, rejected, To stand at a gravesite he understands and he is full of compassion. He groans with pity at the leper when he's on earth. Isn't that striking? He doesn't just say, oh yuck, well okay I'll heal you. He groans with pity for the poor man when he's on earth. When he sees the crowds harassed and helpless, what's his reaction? He's filled with compassion. Friends, he's not changed. The same Jesus sits on the throne of heaven. Now, for those who would lead his people as he does, who would be Christ like, there is an obvious application here. You cannot just vomit out technically correct, pre digested answers when people are going through the mill. You're suffering? Hey, why the struggle? Look to Jesus. Your mum's got cancer? Cheer up. Glory's coming. Have some compassion. Jesus does. Yes, he offers a glory that outweighs. Yes, he's the resurrection and the life. But first he stands at the graveside and weeps. And if you would lift up the downcast and encourage the saints... Do it gently like him who's moved to pity when you stumble. Let the hurting, the struggling, the bereaved know he cares about his beloved ones. Let them know you care. And let them know that as they come to church, they are coming to a supportive family of brothers and sisters who will gather around them and love them where they are. They are not coming to a fake smile club that is just blind to the existence of struggle. Of course, suffering is not where we should finish today. Absolutely not. So... We must prepare people for that. We, we, we want people to be able to rejoice even in their sufferings. And terrible though they are, so often that is the short term. And so we must move on from looking at rejoicing in our sufferings to this, what Peter calls this exceeding joy. This exaltation when his glory is revealed. The first thing you need to know and to make clear is this. His glory, this glory is certain, secure. Jesus Christ, he is in glory now. He's gone but to prepare a place. One day, all the world will see his glory. And... As surely as Christ is in glory now, his own must join him. The head will not have glory without the body. The bridegroom will not keep his status and riches and blessing to himself. As surely as he is in glory, his own must join him. Now, the accuser loves to have people doubt this. Doubt the security of Christ's glory. Doubt their assurance, and so this is Satan's favorite daily activity: to say, to whisper, "Oh, you, hmm, sinned again, you foul sinner, sinner, failure. What is?" Sin to do with glory. Slink away now. For he cannot love you anymore. Sinner. Go away. He does not love you anymore. That that right there is my daily temptation. And I find I, I I have to shout back. Satan, what sort of Christ do you think I have? A faithless Christ. One who makes everything depend on me. Oh, no. I have one who says, none shall snatch them out of my hand. Martin Luther said, when the devil throws up our sins to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak like this. Oh, Satan, I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? Oh, by no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name, Satan, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. I was looking earlier this week at the English reformer John Bradford. John Bradford, you may not know the name, but you'll know the phrase he's famous for there but for the grace of God go I. It was what Bradford said when he saw sinners being, uh, criminals being taken to execution. For Bradford knew as a sinner he deserved death. There but for the grace of God go I. Now, Bradford, he wrote a set of daily meditations. To show how the gospel applies to all of life. Here's the last one of the day. He says, As you climb into bed, last thing, just as you are not afraid to enter into your bed, so, believer, be not afraid to die. More certain than waking from our sleep. We shall awake and rise up from death in that happy morning. And Bradford proved his confidence when he was 45 years old. When he was 45, he was sentenced to be burned to death at Smithfield as part of bloody Queen Mary's campaign against the evangelicals. They tied him to the stake and he turned to his fellow martyr, John Leaf, and he said, Be of comfort, my brother, for tonight we shall have a merry supper with the Lord. Be of comfort, my brothers and sisters, in all that you face, for glory is secure and It is so superb, outweighing even a fiery death. And to get the full helping of what Peter is saying here, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. You see, Peter doesn't actually talk about heaven. You notice that? He doesn't use the word right here. What word does he use? He speaks of glory verse 13 rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed now what's he thinking well in 2 peter the revealing of jesus glory is connected to his transfiguration the time when you read in the gospels that they saw jesus glory What did that look like on that mountain? Do you remember? When they saw Jesus' glory, what did it look like? His face shone like the sun. Dazzling light. And that is what the revealing of his glory is like. His glory can be compared to the shining sun. And so glory captures something more than heaven. Because at the very center of heaven, the heartbeat of it, the wellspring of it all, is the Lamb who is its lamp. Shining out his blessings. The glory of Christ is the wellspring of the gospel. And it is the wellspring of our hope, now and for eternity. At the center of the gospel, at the center of our hope, is the shining glory of Christ. That's why the gospel is not lacking, because He's not lacking. Before anything else, before our forgiveness, before the sweet thought of having resurrection bodies free of all pain... This is what we've been brought to love most of all. Him in his glory. Our eyes have been opened to see he is glorious, precious, delightful to us. And so that is the bullseye of what Paul calls the blessed hope. The appearing Of our great God and saviour Jesus Christ. Him. And on that day. When his shining glory. Is revealed. Unveiled for all to see. It will be like the sun. Rising upon us. On a winter's morning. Driving away the darkness. It will be like. It will be the final turn of winter into spring. His light removing the darkness and making everything blossom. And on that day, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the sun or the light. Of a lamp, for the Lord God will give them light, Revelation 22. Darkness will be defeated, all struggle, all pain, all wrong dissolved. At the appearing of the glory of Christ. And on that day, poor saints now, who they are hidden. Saints now, we shall be like him. Because face to face, my brother, my sister, we will see him, him, our beloved, as he is. And so we shall be like him. Free at last, like him of all pain, surging with the light of life, we will be like the light of the world. Those who are wise, as Daniel 12, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the light of the world, will shine like stars forever and ever. Like him we'll be in glory. With him we will be in glory. My friends, rejoice. Oh, rejoice. And share this hope. And in all you face, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy set before him, scorned the cross, despising its shame. And now sits, beckoning at the right hand of God.
0: You've been listening to Delighting in the Trinity. With Michael Reeves brought to you by Union. Union is devoted to growing leaders and growing churches. Our School of Theology equips leaders for ministry. Union Publishing supplies them and their churches with quality theological resources and books. Union Mission supports and financially helps church planting and revitalization. Newton House, Oxford, invests in the next generation of theologians and scholars. Our vision is to see leaders and their churches the world over reformed and renewed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out about our courses and learning communities around the world, to buy Union books, to discover support for your church plant, or to become a friend of Union and support our ministry, visit www.theola.gy